Disney Roulette is a movie review podcast in which we discuss, in detail, the movies available on Disney's streaming service. In internet speak, that means, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Also, while Disney films are safe for the whole family to enjoy together, this show is not. Listener discretion is advised. All that said, let's do this shit. And welcome to Disney Plus Roulette, a magical movie review podcast. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm Bob, the ever-supportive husband. How's it going, babe? I mean, I'm thinking the deep thoughts over here, honey. I mean, the deepest of deep thoughts. Oh, oh no. That's never good. What are you thinking about? If you were to have dinner with any Muppet, which one would you choose? (laughs) Uh, Bunsen Bunny, because I just want to squish him. Aww, that's adorable. But would that be a, like a deep dinner conversation, or are you just going for the cuddles? Just going for the cuddles. Okay, okay. My choice definitely would have been Gonzo, but that's just because, you know, I think it'd be the most interesting conversation, and just to see him try and eat around that nose would be a... You, know. you would want to eat with Gonzo. He'd annoy the shit out of me. I have zero <laughs> desire for that. Wait, is the is the rabbit's name Bunsen? I don't know. Because Bunsen and Beaker. Yeah. I don't know what the bunny's name is. Oh, damn. Now I gotta know. Now you gotta look it up. Podcast magic. She's looking it up. Bah! <laughs> Bean Bunny. Bean Bunny. Bean Bunny. I knew it was something with a B. Yeah, I want to snuggle Bean Bunny and watch movies. Okay. That's my dinner date. What kind of restaurant would you go to? Oh, no. This would be a chill at my house and watch movies. Oh. You know me. I don't go out places. I think Gonzo and I would probably go for tapas. (laughs) It's very, uh... Specific? uh, Just hipster as kind of where I was going. Oh. Well, I mean, Gonzo and I, I would consider kind of hipster. No, I mean, did you see how he dressed in Muppet Christmas Carol? He's totally a hipster. Yeah, that's true. Wow. So this podcast is starting off a little bit less of a shit show than the last one. (laughs) It was a little bit of a shit show, and I took the reins on that one, and dear God, the horses went off the rails. At one point I said, this is going to be about an hour that turns into a 20-minute recording, and that was not untrue. (laughs) That was like an hour and 10 minutes of recording that turned into a 30-minute episode. We can't do them when we're that sleep-deprived anymore. I'm putting the end to that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So there's not a whole lot to report right now. Mostly just that Mulan is out their first time really trying this premium Disney Plus experiment. We're starting to see the results of. And from what I'm reading here, it looks like the Disney Plus app had a 68% spike in downloads after Mulan became available. So apparently the scheme is working. (laughs) I've heard both positive and negative. That kind of takes me to my Marvel Minute side of things in it. 
Basically, a lot of sources are saying that Mulan isn't doing very well and that Disney kind of undercut themselves by saying that December it'll be free for Disney+. Plus. So that being said, it's unlikely that Black Widow is going to do any more on demand than what they would normally do and maybe maybe come early. Maybe it'll be like a Disney Plus premium early. Maybe give theaters a two to three weeks kind of thing. And maybe then come to Disney Plus, but unlikely from the numbers of what they're showing. That's a bummer. I was really hoping for an earlier Black Widow release, because I don't know when the heck I'm going to see it in a theater. Yeah, they're talking, as of right now, November, so. All right. Fingers crossed that it doesn't get delayed again, and that I don't get COVID going to see it. But about Mulan, we watched it. We paid the money, we watched the thing. I don't want to go too deep into it, because we could always get it on the roulette, or we may throw it up as a bonus episode. I think my main takeaway is maybe wait till December. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Honestly, I don't think that it's a good litmus test. I think it's a very polarizing movie and that, you know, Marvels tend to be close to a billion dollar movie. Did we expect Mulan to be a billion dollar movie? I, I didn't, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, there were things about it that I didn't love. There were things about it that I thought were pretty cool. But overall, I think unless your family is just really, really looking for something to do, maybe just wait till it's free in December. I mean, it's a good movie. It tells the story. It's not the Disney Mulan I know and love. And, you know, you have to make that $30 decision or just wait a couple months. Yeah, I should stress, I am pretty good at separating a remake from the original. I don't need it to be the same movie. I can appreciate it as its own thing. I'm the same way with books. Like, I'm pretty good at separating a movie adaptation of a book. But speaking of it just as a movie, I just kind of only thought it was okay. Yeah, it was mediocre. They told the story, they got it over with, and they put a live-action Mulan out there. Yeah. All right. Well, of course, before we get into our movie, we want to learn about our drink. And for this week, I'm going to hand that over to you, Bob, for introducing me to the alcohol that we enjoyed today (laughs) i will say i enjoyed it better than our uh mulan drink that we won't talk about right now a while back i had purchased a type of alcohol similar to a tequila which tequila is a mezcal and it's really just a straight liquor but what we got was a pachuga which in Mexico, I believe, and Latin America is a different kind of... It's a different way of making a tequila. And basically, it's more of a naturalistic... You can't see the air quotes that I'm putting out there, but it's a natural way of making this liquor. But in the process, while they're distilling it, I think they're roasting a turkey above the distill chamber... And therefore, the drippings of all of that get into the alcohol as it's being fermented. So it's got a definite smoky flavor. I I actually, it's growing on me. When I first got it, I thought it was going to be like this really cool, meaty, smoky flavor. And it is that, but it definitely, it takes a while for Pachuga to get into your system. Let's just say it had to grow on me. Yeah, when he says it's got a smoky flavor, it literally tastes like you're drinking liquid campfire. It's that smoky. Yeah. But it's also growing on me. But we did also do a shot of De Kipper's cactus juice afterward to uh, soften the blow a little bit. Yeah. 
So a little bit of that hearty, smoky flavor with a nice cactus juice chaser. It definitely uh, kept me going and hit me like a rock. So yeah, it'll get the job done for sure. All right, so let's get into some trivia. Saludos Amigos has a pretty rich history, actually. You guys are going to get a little bit of a history lesson today. This was the first Disney quote-unquote package film. The package films are made up of a bunch of smaller segments that are thrown together to make one feature. And some of the other ones include Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and of course, Three Caballeros. This one is kind of a stretch to call it a feature film, though, because it is only a total of 45 minutes long. The other movies are a little bit longer than that. So here's your history lesson. Saludos Amigos was part of the good neighbor policy of Franklin D. Roosevelt. From 1898 to 1934, the U.S. military had been involved in what was called the Banana Wars. And this was basically a bunch of U.S. military campaigns and occupations of areas of Latin America. FDR ended those wars, good job, and wanted to better the relationship between North and Latin America and to counter the growing influence of the Axis powers around World War II time. Part of FDR's plan was a cultural exchange. Hollywood produced films starring Latin American performers, and Disney was recruited to make Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros as their contribution. So basically, Walt Disney and a bunch of animators got to take a big tour of different countries in Central and South America and kind of develop these cartoons based on what they saw down there. They also shot a bunch of live action sequences, and those were actually what's considered by historians as the most influential on the United States' perception of Latin American life. Back then, North Americans pretty much thought that most of Central and South American countries were backwards and rural still. But this movie showed cities with skyscrapers and residents dressed in modern fashion, and just really changed North America's perception of what was happening south of us. So let's get into the movie. It opens with the classic full orchestra pre-movie credits like all the old movies have. And then we get into our first segment, which is about Lake Titicaca. And no jokes from you, sir. I would. I, what do you mean? The only thing I would have done is sung the Animaniacs' wonderful titular Lake Titicaca song. Okay, I'm proud of you. So the Lake Titicaca story focuses on Incan culture and sassy llamas. There was a lot of sassy llamas, and it was even Emperor's New Groove could have gotten some sass from this. Yeah, the animators, they must have gotten a lot of interaction time with llamas because they went out of their way to kind of talk about the llamas and how they did not have time for the tourists. And they showed some of the animators drawing them, and they drew like monocles on them. Personifications of them, yeah. Yeah, it was really cute. So this cartoon is a Donald Duck cartoon. He starts off with feeling the effects of the high elevation because this lake is 2,000 miles above sea level. No, not 2,000 miles, 2,000 feet, about two miles. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, 2,000 miles, Jesus. <laughs> no, 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 no. About two miles above sea level in the Andes Mountains. He goes and explores the marketplace life. And there was, what was happening with the, those who walk with the wind and those who walk against the wind? I I guess what I was getting from the cartoon itself is that generally people walk either hunched over or lean back. And I guess there was enough of the people that the animators saw that their postures were either forward or backward. And my guess is maybe a lot of those people maybe live 
on an inclination and a hill or something like that, that like I'm normally walking kind of with my weight forward above my feet or back kind of, I don't know that it was weird and it, it was very specific and it was in my notes to talk about, but I didn't know why. And they didn't really talk about it. It was just, Hey, by the way, people either walk towards the wind or out of the wind. And it was just weird. Yeah, and the way that their walking was animated didn't maybe not seem a little offensive. I couldn't tell. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, this is maybe vaguely a little racist. Let's let's get it out of the way. This was made in the, what you say, the 40s? Uh, yeah, I think so. So there probably should have been a disclaimer on this. I, I'm pretty sure that most of their, like, movies from the 50s and 60s, uh-huh. I... I mean, they make a lot of really culturally insensitive stuff back then. Like, I'm pretty much anything with Davy Crockett is probably not great nowadays. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest with this. Like, if you look at it now, there are several instances in which the animators definitely didn't hold back on what they thought was civilized versus uncivilized versus cultural versus, oh, we think we're better than this. Like... That's, that's not appropriate. Yeah, I will admit, though, I didn't find it as painful as I thought I would. Oh, it's no Song of the South, but yeah. I think that kind of stuff is coming definitely from a place of ignorance and not a place of nastiness. Like, in all the documentary footage, they seem to be having the best time and, like, getting along with everybody and loving everything down there. Yeah. So I think it's just a, a little stupid white people situation. Yeah. Um, But my favorite thing from this cartoon, which I assume is something they saw there, at one point when Donald is in the marketplace, he sees a kid who has trained a llama to follow different whistles of a flute. And if that is a real thing that happened, that is the coolest, and I want to watch it happen. So what happens when the llama, who is trained by the flute, walks past someone who, like, I don't know, just plays a flute? Does the the, the llama just sit the fuck down? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no, there's my bailed age. <laughs> and then kind of the last little bit of this cartoon is a fun little cartoon of Donald trying to cross a suspension bridge. With a llama. With the llama, yeah. And I thought that was kind of a neat little, the bridge starts collapsing and he does a lot of creative things to try to keep as many boards on it as possible. That was a nice little animated sequence. I enjoyed that a lot. But eventually the bridge collapses, he falls into a pottery shop and then slides on a pot, down the mountain, and across Lake Titicaca into the sunset. <laughs> That's how the cartoon ends. Stealing all of those pots, by the way. Yes. Bad Donald. So then we go into segment number two, which takes place in Chile, and it's called Pedro. And this cartoon was inspired by when the animators were flying over the Andes Mountains. They saw a plane that had wrecked in the mountain. They just, like, saw the wreckage. Oh. And we're like, great, let's write a little cartoon about that. That's both morbid and horrible and yet very cute when you see the cartoon. Uh, so there are three planes that live at this airport. Papa plane, mama plane, and baby plane. And baby plane is Pedro. I don't know if the animators know that that's not how planes work. Listen, if they want to have a baby, don't stop them. I that, that, Don't crush their joy. That, Let them live their truth. I, so Papa Plane has a cold, Achoo. and Mama Plane has high oil pressure. So Pedro has to go and pick up the mail in a city on the other side of the Andes Mountains. Let me send my kidner gardener 
through death and destruction to go get the mail because dad has a cold. That's right. And they warn him, don't get too close to Mount Aconcagua. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. I'm really trying. You are butchering it, but I couldn't do it any better. So <laughs> He manages to make it over, following all the rules and flying very safely. And he picks up the mail, but then he starts chasing after a vulture for fun. Because that's what planes do, I guess. My guess is it was an Andes condor. Maybe, sure. And while chasing this condor, he gets too close to the mountain. And he gets caught up in a really, really big storm. And the narrator is in it to win it. He is... Very dramatic and very, very worried about this little baby plane. He could go the distance! Yeah, yeah, he's like almost near tears, screaming into the microphone. Very, very concerned. So with a lot of really dramatic flight, he manages to clear the storm, but Pedro has run out of gas. Sputter, sputter, sputter. And he slowly sputters away into the blackness. And then... We go to the airport where his mother and father are waiting and searching the skies and he is not appearing and they are legit playing this like that little baby plane died. Yeah, and the announcer is like, well, that was far too long. He's gone. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, wow, okay. Which like, I mean, I've seen Dumbo. I know 1940s Disney doesn't pull any punches for sure, but of course... We do end up getting that happy ending. And the narrator says, don't ask me how he did it. Then Pedro appears and flies in. Sputter, sputter, flips, falls on his, yep. He finally gets there. But also you can't just say, don't ask me how he did it because you're too lazy to come up with how he did it. It's like the laziest writing. It was. And they also don't take the fact that he was at 25,000 feet when he ran out of gas, according to the narrator. And he's still a plane. When you shut off the engine on a plane, you now have a glider. You do. And like, maybe I I could buy the stretch that he glid the rest of the way there. Glided? Glided. Hang glided. (laughs) For the Eddie Insert fans out there. Can we get a a full rundown on the properties of glide? Let's see. I glid. You done glid. (laughs) He, she, it glids. (laughs) They glided. Did. Did it. Y'all done glid. They glid. This is riveting. (laughs) All those years of Latin, you know, they really helped me out. Uh Uh-huh. So whatever. He was in a death spiral somehow. He glided his way home. Welcome home, Pedro. I'm glad you survived, you tiny, adorable airplane. On to number three. Next, we have El Gaucho Goofy. This one takes place in Buenos Aires, and it's all about Argentine gauchos. The animators went and hung out with them, had a big cookout, watched some traditional dancing, listened to some traditional music. Looked like a fun time. Yeah, actually watched them breaking horses and and different actual jobs that they did. When you saw what they were actually seeing versus the cartoons, then it gave it a little bit more gravitas in that they actually like saw it and experienced it. Had I just saw the cartoons, I would have been like, uh, this feels a little like you just thought that this is how they did it and a little presumptuous as it were. But the fact that, you know, we actually saw the footage of them there and everything else, it it gave it some... Historical context? Yeah, some historical context. That's good. So the animators obviously drew the parallel of a gaucho to an American cowboy. So for this cartoon, they transport 
an American cowboy who is played by Goofy, to Argentina. They And this I actually thought was really cool. They swap out all of his clothes with gaucho clothes, and they name each item of the gaucho clothing as they put it on him. So it actually was like... Educational. Yeah, educational and kind of celebrating specifics about their culture, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, when they first started, they, they were like, this is very much like the cowboy. And I was like, well, kind of. There's a lot of differences. And they, like, straight up Sims grab them by the collar and throw them to Buenos Aires. And actually, as Kate said, you know, re-outfit them. And I was like, okay, this has taken a very much better turn than I anticipated. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, so we're just gonna do a cartoon about cowboys because they remind you of cowboys? That's not the point. But then when they transported into Argentina, I was like, oh, I see what you're doing. Good plan. I like it. I dig it. I'm on board. Yeah. So one of the things that they show is how they hunt, quote, the Argentine ostrich, which is a ray. R-H-E-A. It's a distant relative of the ostrich and emu. It is not an ostrich, but it's fine. Well, they plucked the feathers off the back and now it's a ray. Ah, I see. (laughs) Or a rhea. I don't know the exact pronunciation. It's either ray or a rhea. So he has these weighted metal balls covered in leather that they swing around and wrap around their legs to catch them. They're called a bolo. Bolo, that's right. And Batman uses them a lot. So he does that. He, of course, being goofy, gets tangled up with his horse and the bird all together, because that's how he do. And he ends his night with some singing and dancing, just like the animators got to. So I thought that was probably as far as representing their culture, that one was the best one. Yeah, I had the the 50-50. I think they they really tried to bring, you know, the culture and everything else to it. And I I know why they are using Goofy and Donald to kind of relate this to Americans. It was because, you know, it's easier to learn something through comedy and things like that. But at the same time, if I were the people from Buenos Aires and, and these other cultures watching this and watching their traditions and whatnot being used as comedy and made it might be offensive still but time place what they were trying to do i think it gets the point across yeah and this one this one definitely didn't ring offensive to me because i think if you had done those exact same things with goofy as a cowboy it would have read the same way it's just a character in this situation this is how he's goofy and he's gonna fuck it up right I mean, goofy gonna goof. That's right. So last but not least, we get to the segment about Rio, and it's called, oh no, Aguarela do Brasil? I took French and every language but Spanish and Portuguese, so sorry guys. Oh, oh, it translates to uh, watercolor of Brazil. Yes, it does. Yes, yes, yes. I read that in the trivia. And it does start with some really pretty watercolor-like illustration. It's kind of almost like a fantasia is yeah that's exactly what i was going for in the documentary footage they're showing a lot of the bustling city life and carnival and once the cartoon starts it's this music that is set to a samba the whole thing is kind of celebrating sambas and it starts off with a bunch of really pretty brushwork paintings of you know toucans and parrots and uh, the cities and the jungles it's really cool and then eventually donald shows up and he meets Jose Carioca, who is my personal favorite of the three caballeros. I love him. I think he's a lot of fun. 
Jose volunteers to show Donald around the town, but not before busting out into a fancy little dance with his umbrella. A samba. That's right. The watercolor paintbrush paints them a city street and they go sit in a cafe. This is how you know it's the 40s. Jose pours Donald a drink, which makes Donald breathe fire because of the booze content. Fire water. Yeah. And then that fire lights Jose's cigar. (laughs) Yeah. Smoking, drinking, and samba. That's the best kind of Disney movie I want. Yeah. But I appreciate that they haven't edited all that stuff out. Yeah. No, I mean... I actually give them respect for leaving it all in, especially seeing that nowadays they can't even have older cartoons show up that have cigarettes in them and things like that. I'm surprised that they uh, haven't tried to go back and edit this stuff out. Yeah. So after Donald has his his drink, he's now going to go have a drunken dance break and samba with a pretty lady in a Brazilian nightclub. That sounds like a good night to me. Yeah. And then that cartoon ends, and that is the end of the movie. Yeah. it DVD menu up. It doesn't (laughs) fade to black. It just goes to black. It's boom, done, movie's over. Goodbye, get the heck out. And that is Saludos Amigos. (laughs) It's it's a quick romp. It definitely was better than I anticipated. Definitely was less appropriating than I assumed it was going to be. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how not offended I was. All right, Bob, so that begs the question. On a scale of one to five llamas, how would you rate? Ooh. Saludos, amigos. I love llamas. Um, uh, overall, I mean, it, it, it's not a full-length movie. It's not anything I would be like, oh my gosh, you gotta watch this. Was it pretty good? Yeah, for three cartoons. And, you know, if you have spare 45 minutes and really are interested in learning more about some South American culture and... I think it's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to chime in with two and a half llamas. You got to figure out which side of the llama is the half, but. Uh, you got to get out of my brain, man. I'm also going to say two and a half. I think it they're fine for like little cartoons. You know, that's all it is. It's just a couple little like 10 minute cartoons. Um, some of the animation is really, really beautiful. I can't say it has a lot of rewatchability for me. But I think if only for the historical context of it, I really appreciate it a lot. I think that was kind of a, a cool part of Disney's history, that trip down to South America to kind of help with FDR's whole mission. I look at it this way. If America is going to look out and say, hey, check out our neighbors and see what they can bring culturally and everything else to the world, that's the America I want to live in. Fucking amen, brother. All right, so two and a half llamas for Saludos Amigos. And I want to say an affectionate two and a half stars. Even though it's not something that I'm going to go back and watch again and again, I appreciate it from an artistic standpoint and from a historical standpoint. Here, here. Okay, Bob, do you want to do the honors and roll for next week's movie? It does bring me honor. Four hundred and fifty-nine. Oh man, four hundred and fifty-nine is Quince, which is a made-for-TV movie that I <laughs> I watched the shit out of this movie when I was younger. I can't remember much about it, other than a girl has five quintuplet siblings. I don't know of it. I liked it back then, so who knows? All right, well, we hope you guys join us in two weeks for our next film review adventure of Quince. 
In the meantime, like us on Facebook at Disney Plus Roulette Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Roulette and on Instagram at Disney Roulette Pod. Or you can email us the old-fashioned way at Disney Roulette Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please give us that old five-star on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to BrouseHouseMedia.com. One big word, Browse, B-R-O-U-S-E, HouseMedia.com, and click on that donate button at the bottom of the page. Thanks always to Bob for co-hosting with me, and thank you listeners for joining us. Let's all gather together and take one final moment. Back at the home field, Pedro's parents searched the skies in vain. They knew that he couldn't have held out this long. Their brave little son was gone. Another martyr to the mail service. Shout out to the mailman. You guys support the USPS. Go buy stamps. Bye. Bye.